seriously popular. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for seven months. Prosecutors have finished outlining their case and the court has begun hearing from the defence on why, they say, Lucy Letby is not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. The defence case is now well underway and Lucy Letby has spent two days in the witness box giving evidence. Regular listeners will know that the babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons and the identities of their families are also being protected. So we're calling them babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died, ten survived. Every one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. This podcast will go further than the headlines and news reports, but at times you might wonder why we aren't bringing you more detail. That's because we can only tell you what the jury have heard, and that's to preserve the integrity of a fair trial. So far, we've heard Lucy Letby deny any involvement in the collapses or deaths of babies A, B, 
C, D, E or F. She also told the court that she either wasn't in the room when the babies collapsed or she wasn't alone with them. Now, last week was a bit unusual because we lost a day due to the bank holiday and a juror was poorly, so in the end, Caroline, the court didn't sit at all. Today, we were expecting to bring you more of her testimony about the remaining babies in this case, but because the court didn't sit, it means that you're pretty much up to date with all the evidence we've heard so far. We are expecting this week in court to be a busy one, although it's never easy to predict, so all being well, we should be able to bring you an extra episode later in the week, as well as the usual one next Monday. So instead, we're going to bring you something we've been saving. It's an interview with Associated Press reporter Karen Sweeney. Karen is a court reporter based in Australia. Now, we know lots of you are listening in Australia, and Karen's been following the case and the podcast since the beginning. And as you'll hear, she's got plenty of her own court stories to share. Welcome to episode 33, Aussie Court Rules. I'm Karen Sweeney. I am a journalist court reporter for Australian Associated Press, which is Australia's version of the Press Association. I've been a journalist for 15 years plus, and I've been covering court since uh, my first week of my cadetship. I got thrown straight into it, and I've done a little bit of politics in between, but always stuck to court as my passion area. Wow. So basically court for 15 years. Yeah. So everything from, you know, a first appearance in the magistrate's court, and I've covered some stuff in the high court as well when I was working in Canberra. So the system's really similar to ours where the defendant makes a first appearance in the magistrate's court, then it goes to a crown court, and then if they're convicted, it goes higher up if they want to appeal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you're based in Melbourne though, are you? I am. Yes. So only Melbourne. You don't do Sydney or, I mean, it's obviously like a flight away. (laughs) I was a crime reporter in Sydney for a little while. So I spent a lot of time in their courts up there. I lived in Canberra. So I covered the high court there. And I lived in New Zealand for a little bit as well. So I've covered the court there, which is similar, but different again. They're allowed to record without permission. Like It's just a given that they can record. That was very different. The first day I walked in and they had sort of these little setups where you could plug your microphone into the court sound system. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Interesting that that's not caught on elsewhere then, isn't it? That they've not realised the benefit of that and done it elsewhere. Yeah, it's so funny because it it is an accuracy thing, isn't it? Completely is. All you want to do is get it right. I mean, obviously in this case that Caroline and I are doing at the minute, we're obviously asking for exhibits when they're shown to the jury, but we still have to ask for permission and they don't always still have to give it to us. We're in the same position there, although a lot of times, particularly in big high-profile cases, we'll put in a media application at the start and say, we want everything. And then when a document gets tendered, they'll say, can this be released to the media? What does everybody think? And then the judge will make a decision there and then. For the interviews for Lucy Letby's police interviews, they've been role-played in the court, like we said on the podcast. Is that role play actually happening in the courtroom as well? Yeah, yeah. So the police officer plays Lucy Letby and the barrister plays the police officer asking the questions in the interview. I mean, obviously, we want to voice those up. But obviously, that involves me making a shorthand note of not only the answer, but the exact question as well. So we did appeal to their best interests and say, please, could we have a copy of the transcripts? They've been reluctant to do that. But the next best thing was you can have a copy in front of you and read it as we're reading it because the jury have that copy in front of them to read as well so that was helpful for me to make a shorthand note 
I mean, I can understand some reasons. It's because there's so many anonymous people involved in this trial and so many difficulties with reporting restrictions. When you said about, obviously, you know, all the babies are being named in court, I just had like this light bulb moment. I was like, oh, of course they're not baby ABC. That's what you're doing. It's the same as when you're reporting a sexual assault case. The victim is obviously named in the courtroom. It makes it tricky because you're obviously sometimes when you're making a shorthand note, you're writing the baby's name down because it's it's just the fastest thing to do. It's been quite a challenging case to keep track of. Absolutely. And it's not just the babies as well. It's the parents and the doctors and the, the colleagues that can't be named as well. It's Yeah, you're doing an incredible job. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Have you come across any sort of similar thing in the in Australia in terms of covering a court case in this way? I think the only time I've come across it do you remember the Teacher's Pet podcast? I don't know if that... Oh, I'm in the middle of listening to this now. I am admittedly very late to the party on this one. So yeah, I'm in the middle of the first Teacher's Pet podcast where it's a sort of investigation, if you like, into it all. We should just say that Teacher's Pet is a podcast about a cold case, a guy called Chris Dawson, whose wife, Lynn Dawson, went missing north of Sydney. And a journalist called Hedley Thomas from the Australian newspaper did an in-depth investigation and a podcast on on the case and well won't give away any spoilers for anyone that hasn't listened to it but it's a you know brilliant investigation into a, a historic case there's a follow-up podcast that covers the trial from week to week I listened to Teacher's Pet a few years ago, obviously before the trial so I was like when that podcast came out on the trial I was like I'm all in on this one but that is the only time I've ever known another podcast do a live trial. But that nearly derailed the trial, didn't it? That The podcast actually nearly derailed the trial. Yeah, it did. It caused a lot of issues. There was one judge who was quite scathing about the fact that a podcast had been created of this case where a man hadn't been tried yet and sort of seemed to skip over a little bit the fact that, well, he hadn't even been charged yet. This was, you know, a 30-plus-year cold case. 
tell me how the podcast possibly could have derailed the trial. So he argued for a permanent stay for the case to essentially be put on hold forever after he was charged because the podcast was so popular. His lawyers argued that it would prejudice any chance of a fair trial that he would receive. There'd been so much publicity around it that they'd never get a jury who wasn't biased toward him in some way, who hadn't heard the podcast. Ultimately, he he didn't win that argument and he was convicted. Maybe it's because the Teacher's Pet podcast was the first to follow an ongoing trial that people in Australia are also really engaged in our podcast. It just seemed to have really taken off there. That's so interesting. I heard about it from a, another court reporter colleague who was living in the UK when Lucy Letby was arrested. And so she had known about it then. She was working as a journalist there and that's how she'd come across it. And we were talking about various podcasts and things in, in our, we have a, a court office where all the court reporters sit together. And she was talking about it one day and sort of a few of us got on board and now you've got some very loyal listeners. Well, we've almost got as many listeners in Australia as in the UK, incredibly. So we were like, wow, it's really kind of caught people's attention over there. I think potentially part of it is that we have such similar court systems. And so it's very easy for people here to understand the process and what's going on versus the wild west of the US court system. For us covering courts here, which very rarely have a press room these days, it's really interesting to hear that reporters from competing organisations there are all based in a room together. It's fantastic. Honestly, the, the camaraderie among court reporters is like no other specialty area of reporting I've ever come across. You know, crime reporters a little bit, you're all sitting in the same gutters at the same crime scene. But court in particular, we spend more time together than we do with our actual colleagues from our workplaces. So, you know, we sit in that little office together and it's quite a small office. We've dragged some extra desks in during the pandemic. How many of you are there, Karen, in there then? Oh, from day to day, it can be two to eight or ten. So I think, Caroline, that's kind of like how it used to be probably in what I'll say the olden days of journalism. I mean, still some courts in big cities in the UK have, obviously at the Old Bailey, there's a press room, but it tends to be staffed by PA reporters and national journalists bob in and out. Yeah, I think when lots of journalists here are covering a court case, they do help each other out like that. Because ultimately, we all just want to get it right and we don't want anyone in the in the room to be getting it wrong. And it sounds like your system's more formalised in the sense that you have an office and I assume you also sort of share material. Yeah, absolutely. We all really look out for each other. If someone, you know, we check quotes with each other. At the end of the day, we're all sitting in the same courtroom getting the same story anyway and we'll all have our own take on it for how we report it or our different broadcast versus radio versus print. And so... We're all there to help each other. Nobody wins if somebody gets something wrong. So it's a nice community to sort of check things out. It's the same reporters every day. So we get quite close and always happy to help people out. It's probably in the same vein as Kim and I sat next to each other going, oh, I lost that bit when he was talking really fast. Did you get that bit? You're making a shorthand note, I assume, like we are. We type. A lot of us type. We can have iPads and computers in court. We had a big trial recently where a judge asked us to type quietly because he didn't want us distracting the jury. <laughs> Journalists tend to type furiously, though, I have to say. <laughs> how many jurors have they impaneled for it? Do they have spare jurors? So how it works in Britain is they impanel 14 just for the opening statement. So for the first four days, the first week, basically, they had 14 listening to it. 
But then as soon as the evidence starts being introduced, they get rid of them. So they just have 12. They can lose up to two, I think. So I've been on cases before where they've they've lost one. I think judges here would be in a constant state of fear and panic if that was our system. So do you impanel more? Yeah, for a lengthy trial. And when I say lengthy, I think, you know, anything upwards of six weeks, I'll impanel 15. And then those jurors, those 15 jurors will sit through the openings, the evidence, the closing, the judges charge at the end, and then they ballot off three and end up with 12. Gosh, I think if you've been part of a trial like this and you've invested so much time and attention into it, you'd be devastated if that happened to you. I feel so awful for them. There was a a six-month trial that I covered on and off in Sydney, and there was one juror left to be balloted off at the end. And they just looked devastated that they'd sat through this long trial and all they'd been through and they didn't even get to deliberate. And it's a real, like, pack up your bags, leave the room, don't speak to anybody until the case is totally done. What's the longest trial you've covered, Karen? I think that was probably that trial. It went for about six months. It was a two former homicide detectives in Sydney who were charged with murder. Every part of the crime was caught on CCTV, and these were homicide detectives. The only part of the murder that wasn't captured was the actual shooting. The three men walk into a storage unit, two men walk out carrying a body. It's, you know, the prosecution argued that it was one or the other. Each argued that it was the other one. And If it was all caught on camera, how did it last six months? Well, yeah, it was everything in the lead up to it and, you know, who was motivated more to pull the trigger and all the CCTV footage. There was, you know, the meeting at the pub where they collect the victim, the driving him to the storage unit. There was the disposing of the body afterwards. They'd been to a hardware store and bought rope and a tub and, you know, they'd driven the body to one of their homes, loaded him in a boat and home CCTV footage captured the body in the back of the boat as they towed it to the boat ramp and then tried to dump the body off the back of the boat and it washed back in and was spotted by a surfer. So not the most intelligent crime ever? No, it wasn't. These were, back in the day, very high-profile, very well-known homicide detectives who potentially thought they were above the law and that no one was going to catch them. Also, I think part of it too was that they weren't expecting the body to be found. Made for a fascinating trial to cover, though. Have you covered any that are a little bit lighter? I covered one where a, a private citizen tried to launch a criminal prosecution against the Premier the state premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews. That was at the height of the pandemic when, you know, everything was on video link and there was hundreds and hundreds of people trying to join and that just descended into absolute chaos. And the chat was going off and there's all these people arguing with each other in the chat. It was pure chaos and honestly, one of the best days of my court reporting career. Oh, you need to have lighter days like that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So interesting to speak to you, Karen. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. So that's it for episode 33. Lucy Letby is due to be back in court giving evidence this week and we'll be back to tell you what she says about the allegations relating to the other baby she's accused of murdering or harming, babies G to Q. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. See you then. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.